Hi, everyone. It's Henry DeVries with the Marketing with a Book podcast. Glad to have you here. This is where we examine not marketing a book, marketing with a book, how consultants and agency principals and business coaches, how they attract high paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. We're presented by Indie Books International. And one of our mottos at Indie Books International is, the book is the starting line, not the finish line. It's more important what happens as a result of the book. And it's the race we're talking about today. What do you do when you have that book out there? And how do you get eyeballs on the book? How do you shine a spotlight on your work? and a spotlight that reflects back on you favorably and attracts these high paying clients. And by that, we mean uh, people who spend thousands of dollars with you for your talent and your advice, your wisdom, all of these factors that they come to you for this. So a book is a special kind of marketing. It establishes your authority. In fact, the root word of authority is author. So we're all about the authors on this podcast. And some of our authors from Indie Books are with us today. We like to do our author roll call where they can introduce themselves and tell you about their book. But we also like to hear where they're from. So we're gonna start off with uh, Steve and then Peter and then Dr. Carey. All right. Thanks, Henry. I'm Steve Swavely. I am in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And the working title of, of my book is Optimal Team Performance. And the subtitle is Using Neuropsychology to Supercharge Your Leadership. So, Steve, that book's going to be out, what, January of next year? I hope no later than that, Henry. Me I'm, too. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm halfway through the, the sloppy copy, as they say. So <laughs> getting ready to send you another chapter this week. One of our authors coined that term that uh, your first draft, he called the sloppy first copy. And any book worth writing is worth writing a sloppy first copy. The magic is in that second rewrite. Yeah. So Steve, you're on track. You're doing great. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks. And uh, Peter, one of our new authors. Welcome, Peter. Peter, you're on mute. I was just paying attention to initial instructions by Suzanne. So, so we can blame Suzanne. Oh, sure. Let's push Suzanne under the bus. Yeah. Hey, that's my producer you're talking about. <laughs> She's smiling. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it's been a... Um, a work in progress, and um, uh, I, I hold the book in my hand. It's entitled Living Life to the Fullest, 12 Life Lessons from a Greek-American Businessman. I, I take a look at it in disbelief, and um, I've, I've read through it, and uh, it comes to my mind that I didn't write this. Uh, so it's in total disbelief that I've uh, managed to produce a book 
um, during my lifetime. So, um, it, it's, Peter, it's an amazing feeling when that first case of books arrives. When you look <laughs> through those and you go, you know, you, and you probably read it and go like, hey, I like this. This is really good. This guy did a good book. Yeah. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I kind of like my book, but, uh, but I do like it. And it, when, um, uh, Peter, thanks for being with us today. Peter's on the journey now where he's looking for more opportunities to speak about the book. The book is the number one marketing tool. Speaking about the book is the number one strategy. So now he's in that strategy and, and looking for tips and he'll have that. Uh, we're gonna have Dr. Carey next. And then um, when Mark comes on, Mark, if you could just spend a minute about your book, Never Be the Same and the Airplane and that experience of reading your book on the airplane, if you could share that, I'd love it. But first, Dr. Carey, welcome. Hi guys, it's nice to be here. I'm coming to you from Denver, Colorado with a new camera and microphone setup that improves even the terrible lighting in my office. Woo! Um, my book, Self Help on the Go, and it is now five weeks out in the world and it just feels great to have it out there. Dr. Carey, the, the lighting looks really good. Uh, bravo, bravo for the upgrade. And, and that's something we're all working on. I'm in a new location today and we're a work in progress on the lighting and, and all these things. And uh, we get good advice from people like uh, Patrick, uh, but it's always a work in progress. So. And important because we're living our life virtually now. Uh, our life is Zoom uh, for the most part. So it's important to keep working on our game. We all need to up your, upgrade that game. Thank you for being with us today. So now I'd like to welcome the chairman of Indie Books International, uh, my partner and good friend, Mark LeBlanc. Thank you, Henry. Uh, my name is Mark LeBlanc. And I live in Edina, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis. My first book, Growing Your Business, came out 22 years ago, but it was my second book, Never Be the Same, that changed my life. Because so much of my book, Never Be the Same, was about my story and uh, shining a light on walking 500 miles across Spain on the Camino de Santiago. And I remember when the first box of books arrived, I, well, one, it led to a six-figure speaking contract within 30 days. And secondly, I was on an airplane uh, flying from uh, Minneapolis to Boston. It was late at night, I wanna say around 11 p.m. And I'm reading my book and, and I'm sitting in first class uh, and I start to cry. And flight attendant comes over to me and she says, sir, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm just reading this book and this is the best book I've ever read in my life. And she goes, well, who, who wrote it? <laughs> and I said, well, I did, I did. And, and, I, and I felt that, um, I really felt that in that moment, um, as Henry would say, uh, he is his uh, favorite American author, and I would say at that moment, uh, I was my own favorite uh, American author. But, but that book became 
the crowning achievement of my career to date. So Mark, I'd like to talk about never be the same and, and not the bit, not the joke bit routine we do on it. Uh, when I talk about the eight great stories and the quest, uh, and I say it's my favorite quest business book of all time because you alternated the journey on the Camino de Santiago and your life lessons and that the chapters alternated, which I later shared, which is how John Steinbeck mm -hmm. also wrote The Grapes of Wrath. You, you were channeling John Steinbeck who won the Nobel Prize in literature. So if you're gonna channel somebody, John Steinbeck's pretty good to channel on that. Um, uh, if you can, uh, I recommend you get it on Audible or an audio uh, version of it because Mark reads it. And most authors, I don't recommend that they read their book. I can't imagine anyone else reading that book uh, on an audio version. So just wanted to, to leave you with that compliment. Uh, thank you, Henry. That is high praise. Thank you. I I, if anybody would like a copy of that book, please reach out to me directly. There are used copies on Amazon. One is going for $49. I thought about buying it, but I thought I'm not paying $49 for my own book. I wanted to buy it. Just I want to buy it to see who I signed it to and, uh, and who put it on Amazon for $49. Hey, actually, if you can find an unsigned copy of Mark's book, uh, it's really rare. It's worth That's a lot. Right. <laughs> so thank you, Henry. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's get into our topic today. How to write a killer keynote. And I owe this uh, information. We can let Mark go away for a while, Suzanne. He's going to come back. Okay, thanks. Uh, so this information is the product of R&D, robbing and duplicating. I have robbed and duplicated these ideas from Mark, from our author, Eleni Kalakos, from our author, Darren LaCroix, from our author, Patricia Fripp, uh, from our author, Ed Tate, uh, from our upcoming author, Des Thornton, who are all authorities on speaking, and TED Talks and presentations. And I, I wanted to boil down what they said into one document to help you. So if there was just one document you could use to put together a keynote, a presentation, um, this could be a short talk, uh, it could be a long talk, this is the way. So let me share that document. There we go. So for those of you listening, what I've just put up is a three by three matrix. Uh, you might think of it like the tic-tac-toe game when it begins, when you draw it and there's nine squares in a tic-tac-toe game. Um, you also might think of it if, if you used to watch the old Hollywood squares where they had nine celebrities in a three by three. Uh, so that's what we have here. So there are, three columns and three rows. And I'm gonna walk you through, in general, how to use this. 
then I'm going to illustrate it. And then I'd like to bring Mark back and we'll have commentary about it. So it starts in the upper left corner, which is row one, column one. And in that, I like to accomplish three items. Item one, I say, thank you for inviting me to talk about blank. I, I stole that from Patricia Fripp. It's one of Fripp's openers. It says, thank you to the audience. So you right away, you're telling the audience that they're more important than you are. This is about them. It uses the word inviting me, that you didn't crash this scene. You were invited to speak. You're an invited guest. It's a mindset. And then it's the topic. So we get everybody thinking on the topic. Even if they said, uh, and here he is to speak about persuade with a story, please welcome Henry DeVries. And I come on, I say, thank you for inviting me to speak about persuade with a story. So now I've got the audience locked in where we're going. Item two, tell your best story. Uh, Bill Stanton says in his presentation advice, tell your second best story, close with your best. I interviewed Bill recently and we came up with a different idea. Start with your best story and bookend to the end, that ninth square, we'll get to it, going back to that story. The bookend concept is when you begin and end with the same thought. It, you're taking the audience full circle, you're taking them home. The third item that you're covering here is your premise. Every presentation needs a premise. What is your premise for the audience? Mine is every speaker deserves the right book for more credibility, more impact, and more influence. That's my premise. When I'm doing Persuade with a Story, my premise might be everyone can tell a story that persuades an audience. That's my premise. So everything in the talk is around that premise that I have for the audience. Moving along, row one, column two. This is give them the big picture where we're going. And are you gonna share, in Mark's case, nine best practices? Uh, are you gonna share three keys of storytelling? Um, are you going to share, uh, Peter, in your longer version, it would be 12 life lessons, uh, a workshop might be. So you tell them where we're going. It's called the skeleton. You're giving the audience the skeleton of the talk so they can mentally organize where we're at. And then you need to share your foundational message or phrase. Um, Bill Stanton calls it your month after message. When you're, you're gone for a month and people go, what was that talk about? Oh, Simon Sinek. Yeah, I, I heard him talk. What did, what, what did he say? He said, start with why. Start with why. Um, 
Simon Sinek has another talk, leaders eat last. And, and he'll come back to that refrain. It might persuade with the story, it might be human brains are hardwired for stories. That might be my foundational message. So what is it? Give it to the audience, tell them. Now we go to the third square. And the third square is row one, column three. It's my life before I learned what I'm going to share today. It's before. And by the way, to quote the poet Kelly Clarkson, it sucked without you. You know, it, before it was bad, uh, it wasn't good. And then I learned this and life changed and then come back with that month after message. You're gonna hit that month after message in most of the following squares. You just wanna have it echoing in the ears. Start with why, start with why, start with why. Never be the same, never be the same, never be the same. Now we go to the second row. Now there's three squares in this, depending on the length of your talk, uh, Mark might have nine best practices in that row. If he was doing a workshop like he does, in his achiever circle, and he might cover all nine. The, the segment that he does that, he talks about his nine best friends. The, his best practices are his nine best friends. So the audience knows we got nine of these. And when I'm doing a 45 minute keynote on Persuade with a Story, I tell him I'm gonna give them three secrets. Secret one, secret two, secret three. We know where we're going. I think on a keynote, getting in three to five is the most you can expect. I rather that you hit three solid than try to cover more than that, but that's me. I'm not the past president of the National Speakers Association. I have not given over a thousand presentations. That guy's coming on soon. Okay, so I might do point one. Here's the point. And then it's a story. Human brains are hardwired for stories. Yep, that's me. It's a story. So this could be the fifth story you're telling in 45 minutes. And you come out of the story with the moral of the story. And I would hit the month after message again. Same thing. Row two, column two, point two, story, month after message. Point three, stories, month after message. And that, that concludes the content piece. Now, the part I was missing until Elaney and Patricia Fripp and Darren LaCroix I edited their books this year was this next row. And it's made a difference for me. Row three, column one. Have you ever failed to do this? You're asking the audience, have you ever, 
tried to persuade with a story and you failed? Have you ever tried to give a talk and failed? Well, yes, of course, we all have. And tell a story about that. This might be a cautionary tale of something that went wrong. I'll, I'll give a more specific example in a moment, but it's that story. And then come out of it with the month after message. Now, Mark has taught me a speech has to do four things. One, it has to make people think. Okay, that middle row made them think. That's your content. You're all great at content, you got it. If you put the stories in there, well, then you made people feel and you may have made them cry, you know, bring a tear to the eye, uh, touch their heart, or you may have made them laugh, uh, you know, tickle a funny bone, something. That's great. Um, you may have made them feel noble, may have made them feel noble, stir the soul. It's this eighth box, which is the noble box for me. This is where I want to be sure I hit noble. Um, for me, if you know me, um, I've studied comedy. I've studied stand-up. I go to stand-up shows just to pick up techniques. Um, Mark once said, Henry, you're funny on accident. Why don't you be funny on purpose? And that's where I took the Judy Carter challenge with the comedy Bible, and I did stand-up comedy and knew once you can make drunks laugh in the dark for three minutes, uh, the Institute of Management Consultants will be no problem. So I got the funny part. The bringing a tear to their eye, not natural for me, got to work on that and look for those stories. Uh, the noble part, stirring the soul, I found to be easy. And this is where you put it. So I say something to the effect of, Maybe we haven't met yet, but I know you. You do a noble work. So whoever I'm talking to, if I'm talking to consultants, I talk about the noble work that consultants do that help people. Um, if I'm talking to dentists, I'll talk about the noble work dentists do. Um, I met one-on-one -on -one with a dental hygienist this week, and I said, you do a noble work. Um, you know, you're preventing cancer, you're preventing other diseases. Uh, you're doing so much more than just giving a people a great smile. And, and that's a noble work too. I asked her, when are you thinking of retiring? She said, I'm never going to retire. <laughs> I said, that's a great answer. She didn't need me to do it. She already knew she was doing a noble work, bring it out for people. You deserve to do more of the good work you are called and compelled to do. That is robbed from Mark LeBlanc. That is a Markism. Um, in fact, if you'd like my monograph on magic words and phrases, the idea about sound bites that we need to build into our presentations, into our podcast interviews, uh, please send me an email. Uh, Producer Suzanne, put my email address in the chat. Um, Henry at IndieBooksintl.com. And just in the subject line, just put sound bites. And I'll send you a monograph on 
creating sound bites. I'll give you examples of Mark's sound bites. I'll give you examples of my sound bites, some other authors. It's not something that you leave to chance. If you want to be a thought leader, thought leaders are all about typing and talking. They're writing these things. They're speaking these things. The dirty little secret is they're not being inspired in the spirit of the moment. This is prepared. I went through an exercise. I prepared 50 different sound bites that I use in my podcast. And when something comes up, do it. Um, I demonstrated something and Mark and I do a lot of improv. So he was okay with it. Or I said, oh, Mark, I would like to you to tell that story. He knew exactly the story I was talking about and how to present it. Um, why? Because it was not the first time he told that story. You practice your stories over and over again in your presentations. You don't do it like a robot. It's not play the recording. You adapt it to the situation, but you know how to play it. This is advanced stuff. This is, you know, and if you want to be a keynote speaker, if you want to be paid five to $10,000, and that's where some of our authors started. Now some are at 7,500 to 15,000. Some are at 10 to 20,000 for a keynote address. So if you wanna play in those games, you really have to get prepared. You have to get your stories down. You have to do the four things that Mark says. By the way, I only have one story where I can do all four. Um, Mark has one. And that story is retired right now. I don't know when that story will come back. Uh, we can talk about it if we get a chance. I'm a huge fan of it. I got, I begged Mark for permission to put it into one of our books so that story is preserved uh, because that story does all four. It's amazing. And it's a hidden asset. Right now it's hidden. It's an asset. You need to know that your defining stories are your hidden assets. No one else has your defining stories. Nobody else can have your defining stories. In speaking, there's the example of, and Tim Gard, our, the Hall of Fame speaker, good buddy of Mark, buddy of mine, um, tells this example, do not tell the starfish story. I believe the starfish story is in Chicken Soup for the Soul. If you haven't heard it, here it is. Man's walking along a beach and tide, the tide is going out and he sees a starfish and he takes the starfish knowing that it'll die if it doesn't get back in the water and throws it in the water. And then he walks along and sees another and he throws it in and another. And someone observing this says, hey, you, you can't save all the starfish. Um, what, what are you doing? What does this matter? And the man said, it mattered to that starfish. Well, here's the problem. That's not your story. And what if the first speaker on the program told it, then the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, you're the sixth speaker that day is telling the starfish story. Well, one, the audience is gonna groan Two, some are going to start telling the story as you're telling it, where they where they mouth it. <laughs> this Devin's not on the call. Devin DeVries. Um, sometimes <laughs> Devin will be telling her story, and I'm rooting her on so hard. 
people can see my lips moving that I'm telling the story. I've rehearsed it with her so much. So I, I need to not tell the story along with her. So the starfish story, don't tell it. Don't ever tell it. Don't tell the story about Thomas Edison trying 10,000 times to invent the light bulb. And he said, actually, I have successfully found 10,000 ways that a light bulb won't work. And then he went on to illuminate the world. That's your story. <laughs> Don't tell it. Tell your stories. The last square. We're bringing it home. It's row three, column three. Leave them with a challenge. I leave you with a challenge and refer back to the opening story for the bookend. You know, don't fall for the myths. An example, Bill Staten has a, a great uh, TED talk and talk that he does. And it starts off with an airline trip he took and a huge mistake he made on that airplane trip. And then his closing story is about another airplane trip. So it's two different airplane trips, but the bookend is it's tying together airplanes. Um, and then give them that closing statement. So get help to achieve the topic or get help to achieve the premise or whatever. You're leaving them with a challenge, a call to action. You're rallying the troops. Okay. So going back to square one, I won't tell my best persuade with a story story. I'll just summarize it. It's about Maria who is married to Bob, a police officer in Princess Anne, Maryland. And I told the story at the AFLAC convention and the mentor character in the story is Aflac. Maria is the protagonist. Bob is the victim of the story. Cancer is the nemesis. But at the end, Aflac is the hero of the story. And then there's something I do at the end where I break the tension and everyone laughs. So I did all four things. I made them think. I brought a tear to the eye. I made him feel noble. There's a line, I say, you do a noble work. Um, you kept a roof over their head, gas in the gas tank, food on the table. You kept the wolf off their door. So I made him feel noble in that. And then I made him laugh. Well, by the way, get the order right. If you're gonna make people cry, make them cry first and then make them laugh. Good friend of mine, I saw him give a talk recently and, and he's one of the best speakers I know, but he got the order reversed. He made everybody laugh and then told a story that brought a tear to the eye and was crying himself when he left the stage. Now, maybe that was his plan, and but for me, it would have worked better if he'd made us cry before and then we left with a laugh. My sister Joy, in high school ran for Dairy Princess. Now, I don't know where you're from, but I'm from Dairy Country. 
and the Dairy Princess was like a big deal. And she was in the competition and Joy's attractive, uh, but there were more attractive people. And the talent section, well, you know, there are people with more talent, but the closing speech section, she crushed it. She talked about our father and made people in the audience cry about him, her Dutch dairy farmer father. And then at the end, she said, and, and my dad gave me advice as I left for the pageant today. He said, Joy, if you lose, don't cry. And if you win, don't faint. Brought the house down. Right order. Okay. With that, I would like to pin, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the share. And I'd like to bring Mark on. Mark said he'd be the uh, Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson. Oh, that's a boomer reference. Uh, quick, we've got to update that. Um, who's the guy with, uh, uh, who's, who's uh, Jimmy Fallon's uh, sidekick now on The Tonight Show? It's uh, anybody? That's a little too late for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can catch him on YouTube, Mark. Um, <laughs> Stephen Colbert had John Baptiste. So, we, sure. okay, let's we'll update the reference later. So, Mark, I'd like you to share, as the man who was past president of the National Speakers Association, over a thousand presentations. You've trained over a thousand professional speakers on these topics. What advice do you like to give? Well, thank you, Henry, and I'm honored, and and I love talking about this. I think I think. I'm going into my 40th year as a professional speaker. For the first 10 years, I was a part-time or what I would suggest uh, really was an anytime speaker. Anytime somebody needed a speaker on any topic at any price, anywhere, by God, I thought that's what I was supposed to do and be. Um, it, and while I owned a, a business during that time, my dream was always to do what I'm doing today. And it has evolved and morphed, and I've gone off on tangents, uh, disguised as opportunities. I'm continuing to sharpen uh, my craft as a speaker. Um, I think one of the things I would suggest is um, make sure you know the type of presentation you are accepting. And on every pearl of wisdom I might share today, I'll give you a, a rock solid practical example of it. Um, and I think, I think what we're talking about today is, is also understanding the difference between a content rich presentation versus a message rich presentation. And so when I'm doing a business development presentation of 60 minutes to six hours or a weekend achiever circle, it's high content. I'll, if I'm doing a three hour seminar, it's high content. I may sprinkle in a story or two along the way to illustrate a point, but it's, 
its principles, it's my nine best practices, it's how to uh, tackle something or uh, you know, how to uh, take your business up a level or two. Message rich is where we really begin to look at that true keynote speech. And for too long, a keynote speech for me was just a short, the short game of a content rich speech. And I see that mistake over and over and over again. Uh, and it happened to me for too long um, where I was hired to do a keynote and I thought, okay, well, which strategies, which best practices am I gonna, am I gonna include in this 45 minute keynote or 50 minute keynote? And unfortunately, you know, this sounds funny. Unfortunately, the reviews were good but they, my audience members were frustrated because they were writing notes. I, I was speaking too fast. I was giving them too much to write down and the evaluations came back. Oh, Mark was great. Uh, we need to have him back. We need more time with him. I thought of it as a positive until a defining moment when I found out I was irritating my audiences. In a keynote speech, they should rarely write a note. There's little, minimal to zero how-to and more message. Um, I have three signature stories. Understand the difference between an example and a signature story. Even that little bit about the never be the same in the airplane, that's a good example. It, it's a very short story, but my three signature stories each have a message. And one is about Judith on the Camino message. You can always take one more step. That's my commitment signature story. I've got the miracle of Anne. Um, and the message is what you do every day is more important than what you do once in a while. And then my third signature story, the one that is temporarily retired, or I hope temporarily, is about my mother who quadrupled our family business uh, from the age of 60 to 70 after my father had a massive stroke and she stepped in and uh, quadrupled the business in the decade of her 60s. And it's an, uh, it's an inspired story. It is the story that hits or checks all four boxes. A master speaker does four things. They um, make you think, they, they engage your mind. Number two, they touch your heart. Number three, they stir your soul. And number four, they make you laugh. And if you can do one or two of those things, you are on your way. If you can do three of those four things, you are a real pro. If you can do four of four in a keynote type speech, you go to keynote speaker, rock star heaven. Um, that's challenging. I only have one soul-stirring moment in one uh, store signature story, and I don't always get to tell that story. So 
Um, I think first and foremost, understand the environment, what you're charged or tasked with doing, um, and then use this three by three grid. Um, I've used this uh, process for the last three years, um, and it has been a game changer, especially in virtual presentations, because it's so easy to create your three, you know, your tic-tac-toe board and, and have it above your screen so you can constantly be referring to it. Or my, uh, um, my standing table, the top of it is um, a whiteboard. So I can immediately craft my tic-tac-toe uh, board and plug in my, my nine boxes with where I wanna go with that. And I'm off to the races. Um, I wanna talk a, a bit about keynote speech. Um, and as Henry knows, and some of you have heard me share, I like to live or we like to live in a world of two or more right answers. There's a lot of right answers swirling around uh, in what Henry and I are sharing with you today. It's, it's trying some things on for size. And I am constantly, constantly evolving and creating nuances to my stories and my practices and how I approach and deliver them. I did a presentation in Atlanta content a number of years ago, two hours in front of 80 people. And a gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, Mark, this was really good. And I said, oh, uh, thank you very much. And, and um, he said, no, I don't, think you, I don't think you heard me. This is really good. Um, how many times have you given this presentation? And I thought for a moment and I said, uh, once. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, today I did a two hour version of my business development content rich presentation in front of 80 people. Next week, I'm doing four hours with 10 professionals. Um, three weeks from now, I'm gonna be on stage in front of 400 people. So there's so many variables to the different types of presentations and why we are brought in to share best practices and how-to content uh, versus message rich. I think one of the challenges that, that people have today, and this is a new trend in what we are seeing post-COVID, and that is um, the speakers who are commanding the higher fees are better storytellers than ever before. They're making people laugh but they are also connecting with an audience as if they're having a conversation on stage. And sometimes as we are emerging and developing uh, our careers and our craft, we're so much in our head that it's about performance. And we want performance, learn to perform your stories better. And then just make sure that you are involving or engaging with your audience along the way so that even if you're standing on stage, it's almost as if you are down on the ground 
of you know the meeting floor and you're walking around and talking with people. People want more conversation today uh, and more involvement uh, with their audiences. Henry, how was that? That was great. And I just wanted to repeat that point, interaction, interaction, interaction. So there are different ways to do it. And just don't think of it as, oh, what techniques and tricks can I learn? It's just come at it from the heart that, mm-hmm. Mark, I, I put you on a stage once and you flipped what you were gonna do because the audience wanted something different. We could just sense it and you adapted and you said afterwards, I'm here for the audience. You know, it's not my talk, it's their talk. And that's just also a lesson to learn on this. I think this has been really great. Um, This is a subject, get advice from all different sources. Um, Mark, I've watched you evolve over the last decade uh, I know I've certainly, with your help and others, have evolved myself. Um, and it's great when people come up to you and say, you know, you're better. You know, you, you were good, but you're better than you were two years ago. Um, that's something you want to hear. And it's because you have to keep up in the game. You have to keep reinventing yourself. Uh, the downside, Mark, uh, I'll let you set it up. Um, People are not as good as they think they are. What, well, what's your thought on that? It's true. Um, and I think people think they're better on stage than they are. I think that was the biggest, mis- has been to date the biggest mistake of my career, thinking I was better than I was earlier on. And I wasn't working on my craft. I wasn't focused. I didn't understand the profile of my perfect audience fit. I think my my I thought my charge was I'm a speaker. I should be able to speak to any group anywhere. And there are nuances. And when it all comes together, you know, there are clues that make um, the experience greater. And I I like to share with people there's a difference between a mixed audience and a pure audience. And what I mean by that is in the business world, if I speak to a chamber of commerce group, it's a mixed bag. There's the Dairy Queen owner, the arts and antiques, the real estate agent, the, you know, the baker and the candlestick maker, and there's the credit union manager. I mean, it's just, yes, they're all focused on business, but it's a mixed crowd. But you put me in front of 800 financial advisors or 20 consultants uh, or 90 top producers for Smith Barney, a pure audience of the same type. And in my expertise, I now, not not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, but now I'm going to hit up home run almost every time I step up on stage in front of a pure audience of my perfect fit profile on my area of expertise, which is business development. Um, You change the equation and I'm gonna be like a fish out of water. So I'll just leave with a story from an old movie. 
I know this movie is old. It's my favorite movie. It's The Natural. It stars Robert Redford. And the movie opens up with a scene on a farm, a father playing catch with his son. And the father senses that his son could be great. Mm-hmm. I think he also senses he won't be there to see it. So he gives him some advice. And he says, Roy, you have a gift. If you rely on your gift, you will fail. You need to develop yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lesson for our authors that they have a gift. They've got great information to share. They're, they're good. Good is not good enough. We have to keep working to be great and better. And that's what I wanted to encourage everybody today. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on this and your wit. (laughs) Always enjoy it. Thanks, everybody, for being with us on this episode of Marketing with a Book podcast. We'll see you on a future episode. Goodbye, everybody.